All right. Thank you, Christian. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> talking about juicing up today. We're going to get a steroid shot today. We're juicing up. We've been talking about love the past, I don't know, three, four weeks. What is love? We said love from the scripture we're looking at really is selflessness. You want to boil it down to a word? What's the concept? What's the root? What's the base of love? It's selflessness. And selflessness is what all great relationships are built on. You can't have a great relationship without selflessness. You can't have a great relationship without selfless service. It takes, takes selflessness. But to be selfless, to be loving, to be selfless, to be loving, it's tough. It's not easy. It takes courage. It takes strength because you kind of got to face yourself down. You got to, got to, got to deal with yourself that wants to rise up, right? And what is sin? I mean, we get all, you know, amped up about sin or maybe somebody, you heard somebody call somebody a sinner or somebody called you a sinner. Like, what don't you dare call, right? But sin basically in the Bible is selfishness. And what does selfishness do to every relationship? It breaks it. So we're all selfish. Sorry to break that to you, but we're all selfish. And so the Bible says we have this broken relationship, God, because of selfishness and that we need to fix that and amend that through selfishness. And Christ was selfless on selfless on the cross. So this is what we've been talking about. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What we're going to talk about today. Where in the world are you and I going to get the power and the strength? Where are we going to juice up to be selfless? I, we try. I want to. I want to. I know it benefits me when I'm self. I know my relationships go better and my life goes better when I'm selfless. But all of a sudden, I just say selfish words. They just, I don't know where they come from. They come from somewhere, but before I know it, they're out. Right? And then I do selfless things. Who here is sitting beside somebody who's selfish? All right. We've got some honest people. Thank you very much. I don't know how your relationship's going to go after the service is over. But anyway, right now, the rest of us got a good laugh at that. That was great. Where are we going to get the power to do it? Right? So, all right, uh, I, I, we have a little friend up here on stage. I don't know if you noticed him all right already, uh, but let me say before I unveil him that, you know, all I did, this is a toy that many of us played with as a kid. I just, I just Googled, you know, evil, I evil, and then what this thing is, okay? Okay, evil and then what this thing is, all right, because I just didn't want it. And this is what, this is what Google said. Ev- <laughs> That's what Google said. God or Google, either one, both begin with the letter G, says that evil is. Do you remember these things? You remember these things, right? You could just like smack it around a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It just, it pops back up. It's kind of like our, it's like that thing inside of me that pops back up. That So it just pops back up. And in the beginning, it's fun. I mean, you're just having a good time, just letting it, just, just nailing it. You know, doesn't it feel good? Wouldn't anybody like to come up here and do that a couple of times? Anyway, it feels good. But the problem is with this thing is it keeps popping back up, and that's like something inside of me. What is it? Why did I do that? Why did I see? See, there's a sinner in every crowd, right? <laughs> what, ha- what happens? What happens inside of me that I say the things I don't want to say? And then sometimes I get excited. I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'm just like, boom, 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 boom. I'm just letting it have it. But and then I get the excitement goes to exhaustion. And all of a sudden, where am I going to find? So today, everybody, today is all about where are we going to find that power to, to be selfless? Where are we going to find that power to face ourselves down and to be loving? So I'm going to read you this portion of Scripture from 1 John chapter 4. Oh, my goodness. It's very intense about love. Check this out. See how many times it says love, 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 love over and over and over again. Here we go. Dear friends. 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Now, that's a very interesting statement right there. So you, you, what does it mean? He's really focusing us here. What does it mean to have a living, breathing relationship with God? Well, it means to love. Don't know what you thought it meant. I know what I thought it used to mean, but now I understand. Oh, okay. And love's not weak. Love is strong. It's courageous, right? It's loving. It's selfless. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. And the word know is more than facts. It's facts and it's experience, not just knowing about God, not just having knowledge, but actually having a personal experience with a life-transforming work inside of us that somehow I used to be much more, I'm still selfish, I used to be much more selfish, but somehow the needle was moving in a positive direction. Fascinating. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is, is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, our selfishness. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12 is very cool. No one's ever seen God. Interesting. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, it's almost as if what is being said here is, you know, no one's ever seen God, but you know, we have seen people love each other. Isn't that kind of fascinating with what's getting ready to happen here this weekend on this Loco for Loco at Kenmore Middle School this Saturday, right? No one's ever seen God, but we have seen people come out in selfless, sacrificial service, love on other people. Have seen that. Maybe some of us will have a God sighting this weekend. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, verse 13, there's the grand finale. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. This is how we know. How do we know? How do we know we're experiencing God? We know it by the Holy Spirit. The word know here, again, is not just having factual knowledge. It's having a personal and powerful transformative experience. A few weeks ago, not, well, actually a couple months ago, I told you I, I, I went to eat at this fabulous restaurant um, many, many years back, and I had chocolate. I had this chocolate there, this incredible chocolate. It was so great that I felt like when I tasted it, just laying on the ground and crying. It was so good. Now, it's one thing for, you, for me to tell you about it. It's another thing for you to experience it. That's what this word means. To not just hear about God, but actually to experience God's powerful work in your life, transforming you. That's what's being said here. And that all happens because of the, because of the Holy Spirit. So today we need to talk about the Holy Spirit. Which is a little difficult, isn't it? Well, who is the Holy Spirit? And sometimes in the Bible we read this, yeah, Holy Ghost. Oh, man, that, what is that? That gets even worse. Okay, I can deal with the Father and I can deal with the Son, Jesus, but who is the Spirit? How do I get my brain, my hands? How do I apply that to my life? Right? This is what we want to talk about today. 
Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us the power, according to the Scriptures, to live the life that Christ is calling us to live, to, to, to restore relationships. How? By love. Because the number one thing the Holy Spirit produces in our life is love, that we go from being really selfish and we just keep tracking, tracking, slowly tracking, tracking towards being selfish. So I want to read you these verses from Galatians chapter 5, because here's the target zone. Here's the bullseye. This is what it means. You ever wondered? Maybe you've heard this before. Man, a person's spirit-filled. What does that look like? Right? From the Bible's perspective, right? from Jesus' perspective, what does that really look like? Well, here's what it really looks like. It looks like Galatians chapter 5. This is what it means. These nine things I'm about ready to read. So here's how you measure spiritual growth and maturity, and there's no other way to measure it. Here we go, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, what does the Spirit produce in your life? Here's what the Holy Spirit produces. The result of His presence within us is love, which is an unselfish concern for others. Oh, my goodness. Joy, inner peace, patience. And then it qualifies patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. Okay, I wait. There's times in my life I wait. There's a lot of times in my life I wait, but I'm not, I don't wait well. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not a good waiter. I'm, I'm bad at waiting. Like things start, I, you know, act childish. I start acting, oh, guess what? Come on. You know, does it, are, is anybody sitting next to somebody who's a bad waiter? You know, it's not you. It's never you. But, waiting. So, so what the Holy Spirit does in our life is not just that you're waiting, but you're waiting well. You're waiting lovingly. You're waiting with kindness. It's ability to wait. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There's nine. Self-control. There's nine. There's nine. This is spiritual maturity. Here's the true marks of spiritual This person here of these nine things, this is what it means to be spirit-filled. Here's the target zone. This is what it looks like. This is it. We are told, Jesus says these words, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. He's talking to his disciples. He's getting ready to leave them. He's making his final statements. He talks about the Spirit. And then he says this. It's amazing. He says, you're going to receive power. When? When, Jesus? When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses. The word witness means proof. Proof of what? Proof. Proof that the Spirit is in you. Proof that you're following Christ. Proof that your life is being transformed. The Spirit's going to come upon you. And what happened? Well, we know that happened. They went from a really, really self-centered group of guys. They went from a group of guys who, when Jesus is about ready to be crucified in the upper room, and they're like looking at him and saying, what's wrong with you? I mean, you're acting really strange. You seem really, we've never seen you act like you're nervous. We've never seen you, Jesus, act like you're scared. He's coming unglued in front of them, and they are arguing about who's the greatest among them. I mean, they're so selfish. They're having that argument. Then he gets down and he washes their feet in, in an act of selfless service because none of them would ever dream of doing that. And now you go from that scene, fast forward a few weeks ahead, and all of a sudden they're radically transformed. I mean, Peter, the leader of the disciples, is a great guy to focus on because he's so unstable. He's radically selfish. He's a pledging loyalty. And the next minute he's saying, I've never heard of Jesus before. I mean, he's all over the place. His life is unstable. His relationships are unstable because of why? Because he's radically selfish. And all of a sudden, his life begins to change after this moment. I mean, we see him doing these, these incredible acts of selflessness and of loyalty and of courage. He's facing down that, 
that inner giant of Dallas Cowboys, right? He's facing that down. He's facing that down. How, where do you get the power from? Because of the work of the Spirit in his life. That word power that is used there is the same word that we get dynamite for. Have you felt that dynamite power in your life to help you in the midst of your battle? So there's a, there's a section of Scripture that talks about uh, what it what it really means to be filled with the spirits in Ephesians 5. I want to read those verses to you. It starts out this way at the end of verse number 17. Understand what the Lord's will is. Well, that always fascinates me. I want to know what God's will is. Well, here it is, John. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery. I realized yesterday, I'm not really sure I understand what debauchery means, so I went ahead and just looked it up, okay? Selfish self-indulgence, okay? So total selfishness, right? Then it continues on. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So here's the thing. We're going to get into this in a minute. Somehow, being filled with the Spirit is similar to being drunk. We'll get to that in a moment. Somehow, being filled with the Spirit is similar to to being drunk, but there's a warning here, which means it's similar, but it's also contrary to. It's similar. It's like it, but it's not like it. We'll get to that in a minute, okay? Then right on the heels of it saying to be filled with the Spirit, it says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. In other words, talk about it. So if you talk about the things of God, if you talk about the things that I just read, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, if you begin to have discussions like, well, that's why we come together here. We talk about it. We talk about the real things. These are the real things that it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Those nine things we come together. That's why some of us are in community groups like mine. We talk about those things. What's it like? To grow in those nine and those nine areas. It continues on. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. In other words, be joyful about it. So I'm talking about it, but I'm also choosing an attitude of joy about those nine, about being selfless and loving. Always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another. The word submit means to serve. Serve one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what I, here's what I thought about today. My life is filled with what I fill my life. My life. So we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. So my life tends to be filled with whatever I fill my life. And I think that your life is probably the same way. Whatever you're filling your life with right now is what your life is filled with. And there's a few things that we need to understand about the Spirit that will help bring clarity. Okay, so then how does my life become filled with the Spirit? And Jesus helps us with that. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit is a person. So what you're going to see here in these verses I'm going to read is that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a him, not an it, and him, not an it. If it was an it, if the Holy Spirit was like this electrical force, then it would be very mechanical how we would go about being filled with the Spirit, like plugging into the wall and feeling the electricity, right? At Joel. But Jesus says, no, that's not it. The Holy Spirit is a p- person, a person. And that means our filling with the Spirit is very much like being filled with any relationship that you have in your life. It's a relationship. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus says this, John 14. I will ask the Father. He's going to give you another advocate who will help you and will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept who? Him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he's going to be 
in you. Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. It's not the way we relate to electricity, like wham, they got it, boom. That's not it. Holy Spirit is a person, and we relate to the Holy Spirit in very much the same way we relate to anybody else in your life. What person is filling your life right now? What are the principles that you go after and that fact that your life is filled with the other person's life right now? And it is the same principles that will then fill our lives with the Holy Spirit if we look at it that way. Okay. We recently sold our minivan. We had had that minivan for a long time, I think 15-ish years, right? And so I go out to CarMax because I decided to sell it at CarMax, and I take, the, I take the Honda Odyssey minivan there. And I'm there. I go in. I tell them what I want to do. They come back out with their appraisers. They're walking up to the car, getting ready to get in the car. They're asking me some, they're asking me some questions. And just as they start to ask the questions, it hit me. I'm getting ready to sell this van. I mean, I've got all the second title with me. I've done all that work, but it hit me at that moment. Oh, my gosh. I'm getting ready to sell this van. And I said to them, I said, I've raised all my kids in this van. They said, all your kids? What, what do you got, like 10 kids? What do you mean, all your kids? What kind, <laughs> what kind of statement is that, all of your kids? I said, I, I only have two kids. Oh, geez, man. Why do you, all your kids? And you know why I said all my kids? My kids filled my life. My kids filled mine and my wife's life. They filled us. And that van represented so many amazing memories. Some good, not so good, right? But amazing memories. We did all kinds of stuff in that van. We went camping in that van. I hate camping. We went camping in the van, right? Soccer, soccer, basketball, practices, games, over. I mean, the, the, those wheels never stop, never stop. All, all kind, we're just constantly in the van. Strawberry picking, strawberry picking. You know what the chances are of me going strawberry picking if I was single? I mean, they are not, <laughs> those Vegas odds are not good, right? So there's all these things, you know, that, that we did, but we planned it. We got together, Krista and I, and we talked, we're going to do this. And some of the things we're just going to love to do and some of the things we're going to do because we think that our kids need to experience it. Like camping, right? right? I can understand going and staying in a cabin. I cannot understand for the life of me why anybody would want to go and stay in a tent right? and sleep on an air mattress. Why would you do this? Why take yourself out and do this? And anytime we went, it just poured down. I'm telling you, if you want it to rain, we should go camping in the middle of the desert. I guarantee it'll rain. Cats and dogs in the middle of the desert. This whole, it rained inside the tent, outside the tent. The air mattress ran out of water. There's water. We're cold. We're freezing everywhere. Hated it. But you know why we did it? We did it for the kids. We planned to do this. We planned it for the kids. Christmas trees. So many Christmas trees. We can't be like normal families. We just can't go buy a fake tree and put the fake tree up. And there's no, like every year, just pop it up like an umbrella. Boom, there it is. We can't do that. We can't just go to Home Depot and get a tree. No, we We've got to drive out to the country like the Griswolds and cut a tree down. We've got to do this. We've gone out there. One year it was 70 degrees. Out there we're in our sweaters because we're going to get the pictures and we're going to make memories for our kids. It's for our kids. We planned this. We go out there and we're sweating bullets. And we're, oh, we couldn't find a tree. We must have walked 10 miles. It was incredible. We've got the dog. The dog finds the deer feces and the dog's rolling in the deer feces, which caused a big fight. I just got to tell you, a big fight right for that. And then another year it was so cold. It was snowy, right? It was freezing. 20 degrees and I was freezing. They gave me the, they gave me the saw and I'm sawing away and I cut my arm. And I'm bleeding all over the place. But these these are wonderful things. We, 
We're making memories. And that van represents memories. We had planned on this. Chris and I would talk about it. We said, we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do these things. And some of the things we're going to love to do and some things we feel like we just need to do, you know, for our kids so they can have these experiences. What this scripture is saying is when you begin to plan and think and talk and discuss about the things of the Spirit, what the Spirit is saying, love. Do you have a plan to be selfless? You ever make a plan to be kind to somebody? No, no, no. Okay, kind to somebody who's already been kind to you? Let's take it off the table. I don't about being kind to somebody who's not been kind to you. I'm not about being loving to somebody who hasn't been loving to you. And this is the kind of stuff that Jesus talked about. And this is why he says we should all come together in something that we call church and talk about this and how we pray for our enemies. Some of us are in community groups. I'm in a community group. And we talk about this stuff. And it helps us to be spirit-filled. We say, you know what? We're going to pray for our enemies tonight. We're going to do this. We're going to show an act of kindness to somebody who's been unkind to us. We are going to confront. We're calling this whole series Rebel with a Cause because we have to swim upstream, go against the flow. It's easy to swim drown. It's easy to be selfish. It's easy. But to be spirit-filled, to be loving, means at its core, at its root, means to be selfless. It means we have to swim upstream. Do you... Do you have a plan for that? Are you talking with anybody else about that? Because you know what? The Bible's pretty clear on this. Actually, the way life works is pretty clear on this. We need other people. We need to join together with other people to pray, to talk, to discuss, to say we're going to do this, to hold us accountable, to help us, to encourage us when we fall down, to get us back up. Do you know, this is what we need, and this is why we gather together for this very reason. And that's how we become spirit-filled, by talking about and planning for, because that's what fills our life. If I'm filling my life with just stuff that I want to do, because me, if I'm all about me, which is easy for me to do, I'm not being filled with the Spirit. But when I'm talking and discussing and planning to do the things that the Spirit is calling to do, which is all selfless type of things, well, then that's how my life is filled with the Spirit. It's the same way that your life is filled with anybody. My kids filled my life. Anybody who is a parent here, I mean, come on. You have decided to put your life on hold. And I wish I could say it was just for 18 years. It's not going to be for just 18 years, all right? It's going to keep going. Oh, yeah, they're gone. 18, they're in college. Oh, my kids are in college. It's not over, okay? It's It's still going. To be the parent that that a child needs, it requires selflessness on the part of a parent. Is any parent in the house say, oh yeah, yeah, now you're talking. Anybody? All right, I see some hands. That's what we found it for us. But that's how they fill our lives. They fill our lives when we decide to serve them selflessly, selflessly. Same thing with the Spirit. The Spirit fills our lives in the exact way. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Number two, whose presence is in my life. The Holy, Spirit is pre- oh, the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is the permanent divine resident of our heart. Here's the question. Are you ignoring the Spirit? And here's what I find. Here's what I find, at least in the church world, okay? I know we have a, a, a lot of people in the room here who, uh, you know, church is just brand new to you. You've never been to church before in your life, okay? But in the church world, I find there's two extremes. It's either people over here, like it's nonstop Holy Spirit, to the point where it's a little strange. Uh, and then over here, total ignoring. 
Total ignoring, which uh, that happens a lot too. And maybe you've been, uh, you know, with somebody at some point in your life, a significant person in your life, and you're having a discussion, and you're like, your mind is somewhere else, and they look at you and say, I, I, you're physically here, but you're not here. That's kind of how sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit. When we're not recognizing that the Holy Spirit is the permanent divine resident inside of our hearts and we're functioning without that conscious awareness of the Spirit being a part of our lives, okay? Are we acknowledging the Holy Spirit? Me trying to live my life in total ignorance of the Spirit is kind of like, well, when, you know, when I was in high school, um, in my junior year, I decided because a buddy of mine went out for the track team, specifically to pole vault, which I thought was kind of cool. With the pole vault, you know? Yes? You know what the pole vault And you go and, and then on top. I like jumping on the big blob thing, right? Like that. Do you know what the world record is for high jumping? Like jumping without the pole, right? It's like eight feet. You know what it is with the pole? It's over 20 feet. It's over 20 feet. I feel that way sometimes in my life when I ignore the work of the Spirit. I'm just trying to do it all myself. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to battle down that, you know, that selfishness inside of me all by, my, all by myself. And instead, the Spirit is there to help me to do far more. So we should not ignore. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit is in you. The presence of the Spirit is in you. To do what? Well, he says he's our advocate. That's a very interesting word that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit. Advocate. It's a legal term. Like a lawyer, and I know we've got a number of lawyers in our house, a lawyer who defends us against our enemies. You know, if you have a problem in your life and you have a legal problem, boy, you want a lawyer who, who, will, who will defend you, who will go to bat for you, don't you? Somebody who knows the ropes and will get in there and fight against your enemies. But you know who your biggest enemy is? Biggest enemy is right inside our own hearts. Don't our hearts, don't we have those inner demons, don't th those, those voices that speak to us late at night and speak words of fear and insecurity? You can't do it. You won't do it. They don't like you, whatever it might be, over and over and over again. They speak condemnation and damnation to our own hearts. Like our biggest enemy is right inside our own heart and is battling us. And what Jesus says is the Holy Spirit is like an advocate who is arguing against the enemies that are in our own hearts. And that's a great thing. And I think that in a big way is what happened to Peter when his life was like this and all of a sudden it stabilized. What would happen if you had the Spirit of God inside of your own heart when your own heart was saying, oh, you're no good or they don't like you or you should be afraid or this isn't going to work. What if you had the Spirit inside of you was arguing against those voices? Look what it says in 1 John. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, and boy, do they condemn us sometimes. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. His Spirit is at work in our hearts, arguing against those voices inside our own lives, our own enemies, to battle against it. Romans chapter 8. And the Spirit Himself speaks to our spirits and makes us sure that we are children of of God. Oh, God doesn't love you. God doesn't have a plan for you. He doesn't have a plan. He's a plan for everybody else. Everybody else's life is great. It's good for everybody else. No plan for you. The Spirit is arguing against that, arguing against those inner demons that will speak lies to us all the time that make us fill with fear and of insecurities. Finally, the Holy Spirit gives me power to love. So the Holy Spirit is a person whose presence in my life gives me power to love. Love. You know, 
I've been in church since I was a kid, right? So to me, when I've heard about this, so this will make sense to some of you that have been in church a long time. For me, I've heard about this, you know, spirit filled. I would always get this idea, if I'm filled with his spirit, that somehow it's going to be some great talent or something that would put me in the spotlight. Like, man, if I'm filled with the spirit, well, I'll preach a great sermon. People say, man, that John, that was a great that's a great sermon or pray a great prayer. Do something. Do something that somehow puts me in the spotlight. But that's not what the Spirit does. Very clearly, what the Spirit does is not put us in the spotlight, but puts Christ in the spotlight. And Jesus Christ is all about love. That's why I read the First John 4 passage to begin this whole thing today. It's very intensely on love. And love is selfless. It's not selfish. Right? What does the Spirit produce in our life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That is the target zone. That is what the Spirit is moving us towards, right? So how is this like being... So how (laughs) is this like being drunk and how is it not like being drunk? That's what's interesting because it's be filled with the Spirit, right? Don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. So in some ways it's similar. In some ways it's contrary. So alcohol and the Spirit should... Alcohol, we know, influences us. And just like alcohol influences us, the Spirit should have a profound influence on our lives. Alcohol changes the way, right, that we walk and that we talk when we're drunk. In the same way, the Spirit can influence our lives in an incredible way so that we begin to speak differently. We begin to act differently. Alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol depresses that part of our our brain, right, that makes us aware of reality. So when we're drinking alcohol, we become less aware of our own reality. So I went to Bishop Ireton uh, High School. It was an all-boys school when I was there all those many years ago. And the priest one day in class says, why do all you boys every weekend go out and drink and get drunk? Why do you do it? Okay? And the answer came back immediately. There was an immediate answer as to why, uh, you know, everybody's going out and drinking. What do you think it was? What do you think it was? Why do we do it? There's one clear reason. Oh, come on. To talk to girls. To talk to girls. Because when you drink alcohol, it's a depressant. It depresses that area of your brain. You, you forget the fact that you're not the coolest guy in school. You forget the fact that she's the greatest girl in school, right? And you're like, I'm gone, but she's going to go out with me, right? Because you forget. You lose all your inhibitions. It suppresses the brain. You're less aware of reality. Why do you think a guy who drinks a lot fights, gets in a fight with the biggest guy in the bar? Because he's lost. He's lost any understanding of reality. You're going to get killed. Have you seen those fights before? I have. They don't go well right but you become far less aware of reality so alcohol influences us and the spirit influences but how they're alike and how they're different how are they different because how they're different is this the spirit doesn't make us less aware of reality the holy spirit makes us more aware holy spirit increases our awareness of reality how let me show you we're told in ephesians chapter 4 for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. So Paul's praying. He prays a couple prayers in Ephesians, which are just magnificent, right? Anytime you're looking for a good prayer to pray, just find those prayers in Ephesians 1 and here in Ephesians 4. Just pray them. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Why, Paul? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray... That you being rooted rooted and established in love, here it comes. Here's what the Holy Spirit's work is. Here's what he's making us more aware of, right? And I pray 
that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the Holy Spirit's work, and why Paul is praying this for them, is they would become more aware of God's love, not less aware, much more aware of God. How would that affect your life if you knew that God loved you unconditionally? How would it affect your life when those inner fears and insecurities and things that make you go like this in your life and things that break apart your relationship, how would it, how would it affect your life to have that security, to know the depths of God's love for you? Because some of us grew up in an environment where we didn't experience a lot of love. You know, unconditional love is not like floating around this planet, right? And so we've experienced in things in school, in our life growing up, in our own homes that have been very unloving. But what if the Spirit was so at work at your life that you grew exponentially in your awareness of God's love for you? It'd be amazing. And that was the impact that the Spirit had upon the early church, upon the disciples. And their life was like this, and all of a sudden it just started coasting like that because they knew exponentially of the love of God. They became so aware of the love of God. They knew it was all about the love of God and His unconditional love for them. You know, in Eastern thought, in Eastern thought, meditation is when you empty your minds. You empty, your, empty it, empty it. In the Bible, biblical meditation is when you fill your mind. You fill it. That's why it says in Ephesians 5 to be filled with the Spirit. And the next thing it says, start talking about the things of the Spirit. Start talking about what's the things of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, waiting patiently. Uh, Listen, you could probably have some good discussions with your family or friends this afternoon and say, hey, am I a good waiter? Do I wait patiently? You could... When you begin to talk about that, that's, that's you're beginning to fill your mind with the things of God and fill your life with the things of the Spirit. That's what it looks like. Not emptying your mind, but beginning to fill your mind up with the things of God. Now, one of the best ways to understand practically, in a practical way, how does it look? What does it look like practically to be filled with the Spirit is to go back to those early years to those first 300 years of Christianity and see right there those who were with Jesus and those in the next generation and the next generation, how did it begin to play out? What did they do? How'd they live? What was their life like? Because it says they were filled with the Spirit. So how did it affect them? Here you go. Here's how it affected them. This is what, this is what they did. This is what we know. We know this, first of all, in, in, in those early first 300 years, Christianity was very much an urban movement. It was a movement of cities. They didn't go out into the country where there's few people were. Actually, we called the rural areas pagans, and we called them pagans because they didn't, weren't, they didn't become, they weren't influenced by Christ because the Christians flocked to the cities, and the cities were very difficult places, very difficult places. They were dirty places. They were plague-ridden. They were crime-ridden. They were harsh hard places, smelly open sewers. There was densely populated cities were hard places, much more densely populated than D.C. or New York City or Los Angeles, more densely populated than Calcutta, India. Very, very densely populated, scary places to be. Places got hit by crime and plagues all the time. And what we know about Christians is this. Here's what's fascinating. 
there were, most people were not well off and most people weren't literate back then. But if you look in comparison to society, the Christian community had a higher percentage of people who were literate and were more well off financially. And those people who were more literate and more well off, instead of running out of town when the plagues hit, they ran in to help their neighbors. They were filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Everybody wanted to live next to a Christian because they were the fruit of the Spirit. They were these things that we're talking about, these nine, I want that. Don't you want that for a neighbor? Gosh, I hope everybody on my block and everybody I work with and everybody in my family is loving, patient, and kind and self-controlled. This would be awesome. Everybody. And that's what they did. They lived it out. Some people say Christianity spread in those early years because Christians promised people, oh, you get to escape this world. It's all going to burn and you're going to escape. You're going to escape this city and you're going to escape this planet. That's not what they did. That wasn't their message. When I was growing up a kid, they would send us out into the neighborhoods, right, in youth group to knock on doors and tell people about Jesus Christ. And I was the guy, because I'm an introvert, I was walking up the sidewalk praying, God, please don't let anybody be here today. Please don't let anybody be here today, right? That's what I would do. But when I got to the door, the, 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 the message is always clear. Do you know Jesus? Because if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. You're going to burn in hell. That was the message. But that wasn't their message. Their message wasn't one of escape. Their message was one of what can we do right here and now to show the love of Jesus Christ to you. And they believed in changing that world. They set up hospitals and they set up orphanages. And when people got sick, they cared for them. Many of them died themselves because they were purely selfless. It's an amazing story. And can you believe it? Within 300 years, within 300 years, some people estimate that half of the Roman Empire, that it set its sights of destroying Christianity, that half the Roman Empire were followers of Jesus Christ. That's how it happened. It didn't happen by escape. It didn't happen by telling people you're a sinner. It happened because people were filled with the Spirit and talking about love and joy and patience and kindness, and everybody wanted to be their neighbor. And it began to spread by wildfire. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why we're excited about this weekend, Loco for Loco, because here's an opportunity to see God at work. No one's ever seen God, but I have seen people love each other. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, our prayer team is going to be praying for people to be filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? We want to pray for people to be more loving. We want to pray for people to be more kind. I don't know about you, but I have a problem being loving and kind and selfless and all that kind of stuff. Something just erupts in me every now and then in this old, wicked, sinful, selfish, right? I know you're tired of seeing it, so I'm going to throw it off the stage right there. Oh, sorry. Almost got you. <laughs> Meant to throw it the first one. Sorry about that. I thought you were sleeping. I thought it would wake you up. Okay. Uh, that's what we're praying for today. Because that's what it looks like in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit. To be somebody who's growing in love, which is selflessness and in kindness. The world was changed. You know, historians look at those first 300 years and are like, I don't know what happened, but something happened here. I don't know what happened, but something happened here. It is amazing the transformation that the Roman Empire went through in their cities in those first 300 years. We don't know what happened, but something happened here. And the message was not what a lot of times is said was what the message truly was is to grow in the spirit and to be that person who is filled with love joy peace patience kindness that everybody's please would you move next to me if you're a prisoner in prison prisoners would pray please send a christian here because they will share their blanket and they will share their food this everyone is how they applied christ's words to be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word's incredibly practical. Uh, your word, when applied to our lives, has the power, dynamite power, to absolutely change our lives and the world around us. Lord, help us 
Help us to understand your word and apply it to our hearts and fill us with your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.